0: We invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures with you, let me encourage you to look on with someone else or maybe take one from the pew rack in front of you, and you can find our text for today on page 54. Grateful debt. Uh, Not grateful dead, as in the rock band, uh, but grateful debt, as in a debt that we are glad to owe. That's the subject of our message from God's Word today. If you're a guest of ours, we've been looking at this particular portion of the Bible, the book, uh, the book of Exodus, uh, tracing God's journey, tracing His story of delivering uh, His people from slavery and bondage, slavery in Egypt. And through this story, we have seen that God has remembered His promises. God always remembers His promises. God is always faithful to His promises. Uh, he specifically remembered promises that he made to a man named Abraham some time ago and promises that he has now made to the present generation that we're reading about in the book of Exodus. And in this story, uh, God essentially says to Moses, he says, Moses, go speak to my people for me. Uh, go confront the king under whom they're oppressed uh, and speak On my behalf to my people in Exodus chapter six, verse six, he says, say to the Israelites name for the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he says, say to them, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. He, He says, I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment he says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And now we come to the point of the story where it's happening. It's happening. They've been brought out after a series of plagues. And Whether or not you grew up in church, you probably have heard of the plagues, the ten plagues, the series of plagues that were poured out upon Egypt. Pharaoh has now let his slaves, the Israelites, go. They have been redeemed. Redemption is a churchy word. It's a biblical word. In fact, redemption is a key word in the book of Exodus, a key word throughout uh, the Bible. Uh, in fact, uh, some have said, Tim Keller says, there's no more basic word in the Bible than redemption. But here's what we mean by it. redemption is liberation from bondage, often by payment of a ransom. Uh, redemption is liberation from bondage, freedom from bondage, freedom from slavery, often by payment of a ransom. And so now in this story, God has done just that. He has liberated his people. He has rescued them from slavery, from bondage in Egypt. This is his work. This is God's work. And now this same God is committed to his people. He is committed to them. He is faithful to them and he is graciously giving them conditions under which they may flourish as his people. And friends, the same is true for us. The same is true for the church in Christ. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. In Jesus, we have been redeemed from slavery to sin. He has paid our ransom, the Bible says. In fact, Jesus himself said that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His blood, the blood of Jesus, is the payment that redeems us from slavery to sin. According to the Bible, for believers, followers of Jesus, sin is no longer our master. It's no longer our Lord, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, is. We're already saying about that this morning, right? We said there is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, O oh, my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your spirit to the work on earth is done. Paul the Apostle who writes a number of letters in the New Testament. States it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. He says in Jesus we have redemption. It says we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Purchased by his blood. We have been redeemed. Delivered. Rescued. Saved by God's grace, rescued from sin and to a new relationship with God. We owe a great and a grateful debt. And so it is our desire as believers and our responsibility to live for him. Here's the truth I want us to see from God's word today. Because God has redeemed us, we set ourselves apart to his service. Because God has redeemed us, because he has purchased us, because he has delivered us, because he has saved us. We set ourselves apart to His service. That's the central truth I think we see in our text for today. So let me invite you to look at it together with me. Exodus chapter 13. As you find your place there in God's Word, let me invite you, as is our custom here at Meadowbrook, to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's Holy Word. Let's hear from the Lord. Exodus 13, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses... Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Aviv, you are leaving When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. uh, Nothing with yeast is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time, year after year. Verse 11. Bible says, after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised on oath to give to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord, the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come, when your son asks you, What does this mean? Say to him. With a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand. And a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, this is your word that you have given to us. Instruct us by it, speak to us through it, that we might hear from you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, As a high school student, a number of years ago, sitting in church, this is one of those Bible passages that when the preacher read, I uh, probably would have just sort of tuned out. Uh, Anybody go there? Anybody honest enough to go? I I imagine a few of you certainly uh, did, maybe more than a few. It seems strange, right? It's confusing. It moves from instructions on eating unleavened bread to giving all the firstborn males to the Lord. Uh, you, you baseball players are probably wondering what in the world we're going to feed you for lunch now. All this uh, unleavened bread talk. I promise it's, it's going to be good. I think it's full moon. But two seemingly disconnected things. Eating bread without yeast and giving firstborn males to the Lord's seemingly disconnected sets of instructions that both appear rather odd to us and perhaps seem randomly thrown together here in this chapter of God's word, but I want you to know this morning that that is not the case. Uh, There is a consistent, thoughtful word here for the redeemed Israelites and for us, for all those who have been redeemed or saved by God. And much like a deductive sermon or presentation, we hear the central message, I think, right away. And it is this, give yourselves to me. God says, because of what I have done for you, Give yourselves to me, and give yourselves to me by observing these practices again and again and again as a reminder of who I am and what I have done for you. I overheard a conversation yesterday between my wife and one of her friends at uh, some uh, an upward basketball uh, game, and we were uh, there, and I overheard them talking, and, and somehow, and I don't, I don't I, Be honest, and I was reminded of that after the first service, and my wife corrected me that uh, I I sort of got in on this conversation late, Uh, but uh, she was telling her friend that occasionally my daughter, uh, who is almost nine now, Kinsley, uh, will get my phone and text my wife, Uh, and and she may pretend to be me for a moment, and then uh, she'll say, you know, she'll divulge who she is, and so she, just the other day, uh, said, uh, I love you, exclamation point, and really... More correctly, I heart you, exclamation point. And then a little while later, she would say, uh, this is Kinsley. And Ashley, my my wife, was telling her friend, she says, you know, uh, I I always know when it's her. Um, because Chris doesn't send me text messages like that. At least not anymore. I sort of react to that and think, What? And then I began to think, well, perhaps I I don't do that like I once did. And we need reminders. We need reminders of commitments that we have made. We need reminders of the love that others have for us. And likewise, here in this story, God is giving his people some reminders. You see, in the final plague, the last plague, the tenth plague that came down upon Egypt, God spared his people who trusted him and slaughtered a lamb according to the instructions of the Passover. The lamb gave its life for the sins of the family, and the Lord passed over those homes. He spared them. But as the story goes, where no lamb was slain, the firstborn son was slain. For the firstborn represented the whole family. And so now God is saying to his people, his saved people, He is saying, consecrate to me every firstborn male, verse 2. For again, the firstborn son represented the whole family. God is saying, because I redeemed you, give yourselves to me. And by giving the firstborn to God, the people were in essence saying, our family belongs to you, Lord. The point is this. God requires the redeemed to be sanctified. God requires the redeemed... Those who are saved by His grace, He requires them to be sanctified. Now, here's another churchy word for us. To be sanctified is to be set apart for God. It is to be distinctly different from those who are not redeemed. You see, because God has redeemed us, we set ourselves apart for His service. God requires the redeemed to be sanctified. In other words, when God saves us, He then expects us to live like the saved. If you make the baseball team, you're given a a jersey, a uniform by the coach. Your coach expects you, right, to act like a member of the baseball team. And if you don't, your position on the team is threatened and perhaps you shouldn't be on the team in the first place, right? And in that way, baseball and salvation have something in common. Because those who are part of God's people ought to conduct themselves in a way that honors God. We are his set apart and distinct from those who are not his people. But in another way, baseball and salvation have nothing in common. Because when you try out for the baseball team, the coach is evaluating you on how well you can move and catch, right? How well you can run and slide, how well you can throw the ball and hit the ball. In tryouts, your skills are under examination. You guys know this. But when it comes to God's team, so to speak you don't try out you you don't put your skills on display because if you did you wouldn't make it neither would i none of us would bible says it is by grace you have been saved meaning it is unearned it is undeserved unmerited favor of god it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast. You see, salvation is of God. It is from Him. It is His work. It is not ours. In fact, in Exodus 13, our text for today, notice this repeated phrase. I wonder if you caught it. Verse 3. The Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. Verse 9, For the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. Verse 14, with a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Verse 16, the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. The Lord's mighty hand is all over this text. It's all over this story as if to say uh, to his people, you didn't do this. You didn't earn this. Don't forget, this is what I have done for you. Redemption is God's work. He redeems. He rescues. He forgives and restores. Now our task, if you want to call it that, It's simply to receive his grace. So receive his grace. Receive his grace. Take the gift. It's a gift that he extends to us unearned, undeserved. We receive it in faith, believing him to be who he says he is. And putting our trust in him. In fact, for those that were here last week, there's a verse from our text last week in chapter 12, verse 38, that we just sort of skipped over. I guess maybe you didn't skip it Oh, skip it or I skipped over it in preaching from this story. The story recounts the king of Egypt finally letting the Israelites go. And so they leave the land. They walk out of slavery. In verse 38 of chapter 12, the Bible says many other people went up with them. Many other people, in addition To the Israelites, many other people also went with them. You see, in addition to the vast multitude of Israelites, there were others who said their God is worth following. I'm with them. I'll go with them. Friends, our God is worth following. This God is worth following. It is good to be one of his. Receive his grace. Turn to him. Receive his undeserved gift of forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Take the gift by turning to him in faith. You see it is free grace that's what grace is it's undeserved the gift that he offers we can't earn his favor we can't live a life that measures up to his standard it's free grace but in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer it is not cheap grace it costs Jesus his life and if you want to follow him it will cost you yours too Not as a payment for your salvation that has been taken care of, but in response to what he has done for you and for me, we want to lay our lives down before him. We want to follow after him. God requires the redeemed to be sanctified. Paul goes on in Ephesians 2 and he says, for we are God's handiwork. He says, you're not saved by uh, by works. You're saved by grace. You receive the gift. You can't boast about this. You can't boast about being a believer. You can't boast about being right with God. Uh, But we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, good works. Honesty. Serving others. Respecting and obeying those in authority. These are not the root of our salvation. Saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. And Jesus Christ alone. But they are the fruit of our salvation. The overflow of lives and our hearts. Who recognize what God has done for us. The overflow of those who owe a grateful debt. For God's redemption. So receive God's grace. And then commit yourself to him. Commit yourself to him. Receive the gift of salvation. And then. Live your life for his glory because God has redeemed us. We set ourselves apart to his service and we do so gladly. We do so willingly. We do so sacrificially. We do so because we know the debt of sin that we've been forgiven is greater than any sacrifice that we could ever make for the Lord. I think if you want proof, consider the commitment that these foreign families, that these foreign males in Exodus chapter 12 had to make for joining the Israelites and leaving Egypt, worshiping the Lord and observing Passover. In other words, becoming part of their community. What did they have to do to, in essence, become like God's people, to become part of the faith community? Well, we we learn in Exodus 12:48. The Bible says, A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover, in other words, all those others that left with the Israelites or others that they would encounter in the promised land who wanted to, to follow after their God. He's answering them, what do they have to do to become part of us? And in essence, here's the response. They must have all the males in their household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. Now, not to be crass, but no adult male is going to take to the knife without thinking twice. Right. Circumcision in that day was not an act of salvation. This is rather strange for us to to, to think about and talk about. But this is not an act of salvation, but it was an act of faith. This was the public way of trusting in God's promise of salvation, a way of identifying with his people, a mark of being part of God's people in that day. Today, we don't we don't become God's people through circumcision. But we do so by making a public profession of faith in Jesus through baptism. In other words, we identify publicly with the Lord. Yes, we're saved by grace. But we claim him as our Savior. And we say, yes, we bow at your feet. We want to follow after you. Salvation is by grace. It's not by works. But those who receive his saving grace give themselves completely over to the Lord. Because God has redeemed us, we set ourselves apart to his service. So what then does that look like? Well, as the redeemed, we must separate ourselves from sin. As the redeemed, as God's people, as followers of Jesus, those who've been forgiven of our sin, we must separate ourselves from sin. That's part of what it looks like to be sanctified. And that's the point, I think, of Exodus 3, verses 3 through 10, with these instructions on celebrating the festival of unleavened bread. Let's look back at verse 6. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. This was to be an annual celebration, a multi-day, a seven-day celebration to the Lord for His deliverance. So God is calling the redeemed. He's calling the saved. He's calling his people to remember their redemption, to remember what God has done for them by purifying themselves for leaven or yeast became the symbol of corruption in the world. In the Bible is a symbol of sin, which is why Jesus would say in Luke chapter 12, he would say, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Be on your guard against the sin of the Pharisees. They think too much of themselves. Guard against this. This is why Paul would write to the troubled church in Corinth in the first century. In 1 Corinthians 5, he would say, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? In other words, he's saying, "Uh, don't you know that pride in the church among God's people has detrimental consequences for a local family of faith, for a body of believers. Don't you know that it affects the body in a terrible way? He's saying, get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. In other words, live out your identity in Jesus. God has saved you by His grace, believer. Now live like it. Live like a follower of Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. He says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, Let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The point is the redeemed must be distinct. They must look different. must talk different. They must act different, no longer known by sinful practices because of what Jesus did for us. Cleansed and washed, our debt has been erased. So out of gratitude for what God has done for us, we must flee from sin, run from sin, run away from it. Not in an effort to be self-righteous. In other words, not to look better in our own eyes. Not to look better in the eyes of others. And not in an attempt to earn salvation. We cannot do that. But because we love the one who loved us first. We owe the one who saved us by his grace. We love the one who redeemed us. thus we strive to live for him to bring glory to his name. Friend, are you living and spending your life? For the glory of Jesus. Believe are you. Are you living your life. Ultimately for the glory of Jesus. Are you spending your lives. The days of your lives. For the glory of this one who saves us. If not I wonder. I wonder if you know him. I wonder if you've recognized his grace. If you've received his forgiveness. Have you received his saving grace. Are you one of the redeemed. Have you become part of his people. Friend, give yourself to him. Give yourself to Him by separating yourself from sin and by dedicating yourself to God. For as the redeemed, we must dedicate ourselves to God. Dedicate yourself to God. God says when you enter the promised land, Exodus 13, verse 12, you are to give over to me the first offspring of every womb. As the story goes, and as the practice goes, as the law went, some of the animals, such as sheep and cattle, were for sacrifice. They were gifts. That were given to the Lord. But there were others. Donkeys. Even humans. Who were not for sacrifice. God did not delight in such sacrifices. But for those. They needed to be redeemed. Purchased with the price of another animal. A lamb given in its place. Once again a substitute. As we see in the Passover. So firstborn sons were dedicated to the Lord. As An acknowledgement that Israel had been redeemed, that they had been saved, that they had been delivered, that they had been led out of bondage. The firstborn represented the family and not only individual families, but the family of God, His, his people as a whole. In fact, early in Exodus and other places in the Old Testament, Israel is called God's firstborn son. Israel was his firstborn, and so the selection of firstborn sons consecrated to the Lord was representative not just of those individual family units, but representative of a whole nation, a whole people that was to be consecrated to the Lord. God had delivered them, thus they were his. And the same is true for you. If God has redeemed you by the blood of his Son, our Savior. The Bible says you were bought at a price. The Bible says if you've been saved, if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, you were bought at a price. And as a result, therefore, honor God with your body. So believer, give yourself to the Lord. Give yourself to him. Dedicate yourself to him. Consecrate yourself to him. You are pardoned and purchased. You are not your own. It's not your life anymore. If you are a child of God, then Bon Jovi doesn't speak for you anymore. It's not your life. It's not yours to have your way, to do as you will. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. and God. Friend, because God has redeemed us, we set ourselves apart to his service. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. A way of describing the church. I urge you followers of Jesus in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He says, this is your true and proper worship. So give yourself to the Lord, surrender to him, serve the Savior and do so in response to what he has already done for you. In view of his mercy. Paul says, because of what God has done for you in Jesus. Because of the mercy that He has shown you, give yourself to Him. For some, this may mean vocational ministry. For some, this means things like pastoring, preaching, evangelists, chaplains, seminary professors, missionaries. But for others, it means nursing. It means stock trading. It means athletics. It means uh, using your gifts to serve the Lord. It means teaching and designing and building. The list could go on and on and on. It means doing so. All of this as unto the Lord. Give yourself to the Lord. But the call of Exodus 13 goes beyond that. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. This is why you, you, you can't be a faithful Christian all by yourself. None of us can. We were made to know and to worship Him, to be saved by His grace, and to do so in a family a family of faith, a church family. The text says, When you celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread each year, verse 8, on that day tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And verse 14, When you redeem every firstborn son and your son asks you, What does this mean? What is this strange practice? Why do we do this? Say to him, With a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then God says that these practices, these celebrations, these observances will serve as ongoing reminders, as continual reminders of what he has done for his people. The Lord says, give yourself to me. Give yourself to me, believer, and make every single effort to pass on the faith to the generations that follow. So give yourself to the Lord. And then parents, give your children to the Lord. Give your children to the Lord. Teach them in the faith. The Bible here and elsewhere calls us to practice the faith, to live out our faith. That's what this text is about. And to do so in such a way that these markers not only remind you of the goodness of God in your life, but in such a way as to raise questions from your children. And when they ask, parents, when they ask us, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. As the psalmist says in Psalm 78, verse 4, we will not hide them. We will not hide these things from the descendants, the generations of God's people. We will not hide these things from our children. We will tell the next generation. We will tell them the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. Mom, how come there's that cross in the window above where the choir sings at church? Dad, why, why do we always have to go to church? Mom, why do you open your Bible each morning and sit at the kitchen table and read the Bible? Aren't you hungry for breakfast? Grandma, why do those men at church pass around those little snacks in silver trays? Johnny, Susie, I'm so glad you've asked. It is because the Son of God died on a cross to save us from our sins and to give us life with Him forever. And so we sing. And so we celebrate. And so we come together on a regular basis with God's people. And so we open His Word. So we dedicate. So we live our lives for Jesus, our Savior. So we spend our lives praising Him. And so we anticipate Him coming again for us, as he says in his word, we anticipate the reality of the Bible, of where this story ends. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. Then John, who sees this vision of heaven, looks and he hears the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircle the throne, that is the throne in heaven, the throne of God. And the living creatures and the elders, in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The Bible says, then John heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every creature everywhere and on the sea. And all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then these four living creatures said, Amen. Yes, we we agree. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And so we too, Christians, we too, church, we too, followers of Jesus, who have been saved by His grace, we will sing the song of the redeemed, both now and forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Father, help us to long for the day that we will gather with your people. Lord, that we will see you as you really are. Lord, that you will invite us into your presence not because of what we have done but because of what Christ has done for us. Father, help us to long for the day when sin, our sin, no longer separates. Father, help us to to know and to love you more. Lord, penetrate our hearts and our minds, our lives with the good news of salvation in Jesus. By your grace, Lord, unearned. A gift offered. Father, may we believe this news. May we so believe it that we build our lives upon it. We trust you, that we obey you, that we declare before others that we are yours. Lord, you are worthy. Lead us to that end. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.